You're listening to audio from Grove Park Baptist Church. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.groveparkchurch.net. We began this series of sermons with a reference to the Reverend Dr. Tony Campolo describing the kingdom of God as a party. This morning, I would like to begin with Dr. Campolo recounting a true event in his life that helped him form the thought that the kingdom of God is a party. It is taken from a sermon that he delivered from our text that we are looking at this morning. Dad is alive. Come on, celebrate. Celebrate, celebrate. I uh, had to go on a speaking engagement to Honolulu. (laughs) Hey, sometimes you get Chicago, sometimes you get Honolulu. (laughs) You go to Honolulu, you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning if you're from the East Coast because of the time difference, and I I was hungry. I went looking for something to eat up a side street. I found a greasy spoon. I went in. There were no booths, just a row of stools in front of the counter. I sat down, there was nobody in the place. I I didn't touch the menu. It was one of those plastic menus, you know, and grease had piled up on it. I knew that if I opened the thing, something extraterrestrial would have crawled out. (laughs) This fat guy with a greasy apron, unshaved, cigar comes out, puts the cigar down and says, what do you want? I said, a cup of coffee and a donut. He poured the coffee, and then he did this. And he picked up the donut. I hate that. So I'm sitting there, 3.30 in the morning, munching on my dirty donut. Went into this place, come about 10 or 11 prostitutes. And they sat on either side of me. And it was a small place. And I tried to disappear. The one next to me was especially boisterous, and she said to her friend, tomorrow's my birthday, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be 39. And her friend said, so what do you want me to do? Sing happy birthday? So you're going to be 39, you want a cake, you want a party? First woman said, look, I don't want anything, I'm just telling you it's my birthday, why do you have to hurt my feelings? And then she added, I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. I don't expect to have one now. That did it. I waited until they left. And then I called uh, Harry over. I said, do they come in here every night? He said, yeah. I said, the one right next to me. He said, Agnes. I said, it's her birthday tomorrow. Harry, what do you say? We decorate this place. And when she comes in tomorrow night, we have a little party for her. She's never had a party in her whole life. He grabbed my hand and squeezed it and said, mister, that's beautiful, beautiful. She ain't come out here. This guy wants to throw a birthday party for Agnes. It's her birthday tomorrow. She came out and she said, oh, mister, that's brilliant. Nobody ever does anything for Agnes, and she's one of the good people in this town. I know, I know what she does to make money, but she's a good person. I said, can I decorate the place? She said, to your heart's content. I said, I'm going to bring a big birthday cake. Harry said, oh, no, the cake's my thing. Oh, jeez. <laughs> So I got there the next morning at about 2.30. I bought this crepe paper at, uh, at uh, the Kmart. 
I strung it across the place. I had made a big sign, happy birthday, Agnes, put it on the mirror behind the counter. I had the place spruced. It was ready. Jan, who did the cooking, had gotten the word out on the street. By 3.15, every single prostitute in Honolulu was squeezed into this diner. It was wall-to-wall -wall prostitutes. And me! 3.30 in the morning, the door opens. In comes Agnes and her friends. I've got everybody set, everybody ready. As they come to the door, we yell, Happy birthday, Agnes! And start cheering like mad. I've never seen anybody so stunned in my life. Her knees buckled. They studied her. They got her down on a stool and we started singing, Happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday to you. And they brought out the cake with the candles. That was it. She lost it and started to cry. Harry just stood there with the cake, with all the candles, said, knock her off. Come on, Magnus, knock it off and blow out the candles. Come on, blow out the candles. She tried, but she couldn't do it, so he blew out the candles. He gave her the knife and said, now cut the cake. Come on now, cut the cake, Agnes, cut the cake. She sat for a long moment, and then she turned to me and she said, Mister, I really don't want to cut the cake. Is it okay if I don't cut the cake? I said, it's your cake. It's your cake. You can do with it what you want. She said, I want to take it home. I want to show it to my mother. Is that okay? I said, sure. She stood up. I said, do you have to do it now? She said, I live two doors down. Let me take the cake to her. And, and I promise I'll bring it right back. I promise. She picked up the cake like it was the Holy Grail. And she pushed her way through the crowd and out the door. And as the door swung slowly shut, there was dead silence. You talk about an awkward silence. All of us were just standing there, stunned. I didn't know what to say, so I, I finally said, uh, what, do you, what, do you, what do you say we pray? It's weird looking back on it now. A sociologist leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes at a diner at 3.30 in the morning. It was the right thing to do. And I prayed that God would deliver her from what filthy men had done to her. Probably starting when she was... She was too young to even know what was going on. That's how these things start, you know. Some kid, 11, 12 years old, gets messed over by some filthy slob and, and her self-image is destroyed and she's ruined and we blame her when we ought to be blaming him. And I prayed that God would make her new because we're here to declare the good news that no matter where you've been or what you've done, Jesus can make you new. When I finished the prayer, Harry leaned across the counter and said, Hey, Camp Paulo, you told us you were a sociologist. You're a preacher. What kind of church you preach in? And in one of those moments, when you come up with just the right words, I said, I... I, I preach in a church that throws birthday parties for whores at 3.30 in the morning. I'll never forget his response. Never. He said, no you don't. Nah, you don't. He said, I would join a church like that. Wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all love to belong to a church that threw birthday parties for whores at 3.30 in the morning? I got news for you. 
I got news for you. That is the kind of church that Jesus came to create. I don't know where we got this other one that's half country club. But Jesus came to create a people that would bring parties to those who have no parties. Celebration into the lives of uh, people who have nothing to celebrate. If all you've got to offer is a bowl of soup and some clothes, it's not enough. Jesus came and said, I have come that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. And we've got to do more than just give them bread and clothes. We've got to bring love and joy into their lives. It's hard to follow that. But I think in hearing the story as only Dr. Campolo can tell it, that in the response of the cook, we somehow or another are, are triggered to uh, hear afresh this series of three parables in Luke 15, which we all know so well from a different perspective. You see, there were two groups listening that day. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15 tell us now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Two groups, two diametrically opposed groups from their stations in life. One group, hungry, hungry for good news. The other group, who had good news that they could give them, thinks that the other group is not worthy to hear that good news. And in the middle, neither understand that we all need to hear good news afresh. So Jesus decides to illuminate this shared need by telling three stories. Verses three through seven, he tells the story of a sheep who has wandered off. We, we know this story well. We've been comforted by the image of the good shepherd contained within so many times that I feel like we have lost the radical nature of the story to its original hearers. The sheep hasn't just wandered off in this text into another pasture. The phrase open country is best translated desert. So furthermore, the sheep has not just wandered off into a desert. The word lost here is used elsewhere in the scriptures, namely in Luke 13, to mean perishing. So what we have here is a sheep who has wandered off into a barren desert and is perishing. Too often, I fear we approach similar situations in our interactions with spiritually hungry and perishing people and think we should just tend to the 99, as the text would point, and just let the other one go. It's just one, after all. It's just one that the 99 we need to tend to. The 99 pay the bills. But the shepherd doesn't do this. No, no, he goes searching for the sheep leaving the 99 behind. And, and when he brings the sheep back, he does so through his power, if you notice. He puts the sheep up on his shoulders and, and brings the sheep back home. He, do, he doesn't expect the, the sheep to do it. He brings the sheep home. And as he comes back, he says, let's have a party. Let's have a party. 
Let us not think that the use of the term shepherd in the text this morning was lost on its hearers that day. They, just like us, know the 23rd Psalm. They know the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And here Jesus is employing the shepherd in his duties in a revolutionary way for them. Jesus is essentially saying that God rejoices when a sinner repents. Gone is the image of an angry God who in his wrath is just ready to look down when we step one foot out of line and zap us with some thunderbolt. No, Jesus says there is genuine joy in heaven and excitement when a sinner sees the need of a savior in their life. And Jesus says, they, that sinner who turns like that lost sheep, makes heaven far happier than the 99 Pharisees standing off mumbling who rest in their own righteousness and forget that they need to set heaven rejoicing every day of their life through their own repentance and reliance on God and on Christ's righteousness alone. Something you and I sometimes forget. Now I realize that we are comfortable with God throwing a party. But Jesus takes it a step farther. As he tells the story of a woman who has lost a coin in verses 8 through 10. We often get lost in, in the nature and usage of the coin that is missing. But I believe that is secondary this morning to the overall visual that Jesus is relaying. This woman literally turns everything upside down to find this coin. She lights a lamp in her windowless home trying to find some glimmer of light shining off the coin. That doesn't seem to work and so she thinks that the dirt floor maybe have obscured the glistening coin and so she takes a broom and she sweeps the floor hoping that it will turn up but it still doesn't turn up. So then scripture says that she seeks diligently until she finds it. To put this parable in the modern parlance, she takes the couch cushions and she throws them off. She opens the, sh the doors of the cabinet and pulls everything out. She gets down on her hands and knees and pulls everything out from underneath the bed. And finally, she finds the coin. And did you notice the text? She finds the coin. And she says to her friends and her neighbors, come celebrate. Rejoice. The word rejoices in the imperative. She's saying, come, let us be filled with great and exceeding joy. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think she tidied up the house before she invited everybody over? The scripture doesn't seem to allude to that. 
The scripture seems to give the impression that here she has this disastrous house. In my mind, I picture my living room at the end of the day after Scarlett has spent her afternoon there, every imaginable toy known to man scattered across the floor. And and I wouldn't want anybody to come right then. And this woman says, come, we're going to have a party. Oh, beloved, you and I, you and I want people to clean up and then party. Jesus says that in the same manner as this woman has invited these people into her home, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Now let's not, let's be careful Let's be careful not to to miss two things here. Jesus simply says in the first parable, there's rejoicing in heaven over repentance. He has narrowed it down even more here in verse number 10. Who is in the presence of the angels? Who? He's not talking about angels here. If he was talking about angels, he would say there's rejoicing with the angels. No, he says, in the presence of the angels, you all are in my presence today. He's saying, God rejoices in the presence of the angels. And God rejoices not when the person has cleaned it up. God rejoices at the moment of repentance when they are still in their messiness. The party isn't thrown when everything is nice and neat. No, it's when it's still messy. God invades the messiness and he sits down and he says, you're home, I found you, let's throw a party. Oh, we want people's lives to be cleaned up. We want them to be cleaned up, and then we throw the party. We want them cleaned up before they come to church. We we don't want them to come in in the midst of their sinfulness. We want them cleaned up and then bring them in. No, 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 no. Jesus says, go find them, rejoice, and then clean them up. Uh, Dare I say this morning that the magnitude of rejoicing gives strength for the cleaning. Gives strength for the cleaning. And to drive that point home, Jesus tells them a third story. A third story in which we love to tell, but we we often look at the bookends of the story and we we fail to, to take stock of the meat in the middle. You know the story. There's two sons. Interesting, isn't there? There's two people, there's two groups at the beginning of our text this morning. Don't miss the parallel. There's two sons. There's a younger son. He gets a great idea one day, he thinks. He, he goes and he asks his father for half of his father's estate because he's going to get it anyway when he dies. So why wait till the old man dies? Let's go ahead and get it now so we can have a party now. He takes his inheritance and he goes off to a distant country. He falls in with the wrong crowd and he squanders it all. He squanders it all. 
finds himself hungry and in dire straits and he has to hire himself out as a pig feeder. Here's this fine, upstanding Jewish boy from a fine, upstanding family, a landed family with servants and everything. And here he is having to stoop down low to feed pigs. And he's so hungry that he wants to feed of the pigs, but he can't have it. No one feeds him. He is lower than a pig now. He's without sufficiency to to even eat what they eat. Can you imagine the toll on his spirit in the midst of all this? Can you imagine the mental and emotional anguish that he is having to go through? And then the fog clears. The fog clears and he says, I will go to my father's house and offer myself as his servant and eat bread. I will repent before God and him and be content with what I get. And in verse 20 of chapter 15, it says, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. (laughs) Did you catch that? That the father, this fine, upstanding man in his own robes, lifts his robes up so that he can run, and he runs to his son, filled with compassion and love and mercy. He doesn't let his son say anything. He doesn't tell his son to clean up. You know, sometimes we'll be out and working on different things. Like, like the other day, we were all muddy from the, from the ramp build. Thank God Eliza wasn't home. Because when I had to come in, she said, you ain't touching me. Don't kiss me. Go clean up. Father doesn't do that though, does he? No, the scripture says he falls on his neck and he hugs him in his putrid smelling state. The father grabs the son and kisses him in the middle of his mess. The father welcomes the son. Oh, the son, the son isn't expecting this. But herein we have another aspect of heaven's party. It is generous and overflowing. Did you notice? The father dresses the son, brings him the best robe, puts a ring on his finger, puts shoes on his feet. He says, kill the fatted calf. The calf, which was being saved for something. We we eat meat all the time. We have meat, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But in this society, they didn't eat meat very often. 
And so the father says, kill the calf. We're going to have a party. Uh, The son was hoping for bread. And he got meat. The son was hoping to be a servant. And the father says, you're a son. Oh, beloved, let us remember that just as the father throws an elaborate celebration for the son, every time we do anything that invites people to Grove Park, any time we go out and represent the kingdom of heaven, we should make it look like this. We should make it be a place of overwhelming with grace. Never sparse, but literally a picture of what God does for us. The scripture says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. In other words, it pours like a faucet turned on high, flowing over. And that's what this son experiences. That's what the party is supposed to look like. The problem is that there's always someone else in this story. Verses 25 through 32 tell the story of the other son. The other son. Now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The other son is not happy. He voices his displeasure. But the father's response to me is fascinating. He plaints it in stark picture. Something that we need to be reminded. Your brother was lost and is found. Your brother was dead and is alive. Beloved, every time a sinner comes to faith, heaven rejoices for one who is dead has been brought to life, is born again, and is alive forevermore. Oh, is that not something that we should celebrate? But the brother says, no, 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 no. But herein we have something. We have something Jesus is saying. He's saying two things. And as we think and go out to the party, we should remember something. One, don't be a Pharisee. The older brother hears the picture of the Pharisees at the beginning. The one who doesn't want to throw the party. The one who's forgotten that they're sinful and need parties thrown from them. The one who's forgotten that much like Dr. Campolo's story is no better than Agnes and needs a party. 
but another thing. And to me, this is the beauty of the Father's house. He says to the Son, Son, you have everything, but your brother's alive and he's here to stay. Isn't that us? We have everything now. We have been welcomed into the family of God and and we have everything. We really don't belong there though because we too have gone and squandered everything. And God says, but the other son, the other side of us is going to dwell in my house forever through grace. Oh, beloved, that's what makes grace amazing. It's not deserve. This boy doesn't deserve any of this. He deserves to be a servant. But the father says, no, 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 no. He's a son. To all today who stand in need of repentance, God is looking and is running to you with his grace and his mercy. And he wants to envelop his arms around you and say, come to the party. The question is, Are you going to do it? Are you going to live in the party? Are you going to crank it up? Beloved, let me tell you something. You can have a quiet party or you can have a loud party. Okay? I'm going to end on this thought. might upset some of you I go ahead and apologize now in college it was never a good party unless the cop showed up you say preacher you want the cops to show up no 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 don't miss that catch what I said We want to have a party so loud for sinners that other people notice. If they can't notice our party, are we really partying like heaven? So let's crank it up. Celebrate the God of love and his great gift of grace to me and to you. Let's pray. Lord, in our hearts, remind us of the party. And remind us, Lord, that you want to throw a party every moment of every day of our life as we look to you for sustenance, as we turn to you more in every aspect of our life. And we say that what we have been doing is wrong and what we need to do is follow you. And let us know that even then, You, you rejoice. And Lord, let us be a people full of grace, abounding in mercy that goes and seeks people to come to your party. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.